chapter 1 as we continue this study on the book of Proverbs. And I have to admit that this uh, is not the easiest sermon prep. And just, just confess to you, this is, this is more difficult for a lot of reasons. Um, but it has been very fruitful. Sometimes, you know, the harder something is, the more foreign something is to us, the more we pay attention as we study. We don't take things for granted. I told Amy, when I'm in the book of Ephesians, or I'm in John's Gospel, or I'm in 2 Corinthians, most of the New Testament, I feel very confident. Most of it I feel very confident with. I just go there and run down through it and can give a quick answer. When I get into the Old Testament, particularly Proverbs, books like Proverbs, I'm not as quick. And so in that time of slowing down and really thinking through the words, trying to understand the meaning, I think God is particularly blessing my soul. And I pray that through this, He will bless you also. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19 Listen to the instruction of your father. Listen to the instruction of your father. Let's read it together. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are, graceful gar- uh, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son... Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their way, their path. Because their feet are for their feet. Because their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This passage breaks down in three sections. The first, verses 10, I mean, excuse me, verses 8 through 10. The second, verses 11 through 18. And the third section is verse 19. The first section, we see the admonition from a father to his son. The admonition from a father to his son. What is his admonition? What does it mean to have an admonition? It means uh, he is charging his son. He is calling his son to attention. Look at the words. Hear. Listen. Pay attention. Perk up. Use your ears. Engage your mind, my son. Your Your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. We see here a link back up into the previous verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and and instruction. The writer links verse 8 with verse 7 by saying, Hear the instruction of your father. What is that instruction? 
Fear the Lord. That's his father's, in general, that's his father's instruction. Fear the Lord. You know, um, as my children head out, if I'm at home, when they head out for the day, I know they get tired of hearing this. I look them in the eye and say, have a great day today. Be a leader today. Make wise choices today. There's always an imperative. Love people who are unloved today. Take up for the one who's being picked on today. Instruction as they head out for the day. Pithy, short statements that encourage them to remember who they are. What they represent. And that's the same thing this father's doing. Hear what I'm telling you. Hear what I'm saying to you, son. What is my overall instruction? Fear the Lord. That's the overall instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. The word teaching means catechism. The word means to actually ask a question expecting an answer. It was a style of teaching for the Hebrew. It was, it was a style of teaching not just for the Hebrew, but it became a style of teaching for the early church. They catechized their children. And if you've been here long enough, you know we have consistently taken our children through catechism. Now, some people are afraid of that. They think it's Catholic. It is not Catholic. It is biblical. What is going on here is this mother instills the faith in her children, the fear of the Lord into her children, by asking basic in instructive questions. Who is God? You can imagine. What is his character? What are the first ten commandments that he gives? Where are these commandments to be written? This is the way the Hebrews would have instructed their children. Wow. You know, this is, look at this passage. You see here a father and a mother. They're both engaged in one thing. What? Instruction. The bringing up of children in godliness. The admonition of a father was not just for the Proverbs, but for us. When a society loses the instruction of a home, it loses itself. Not long ago, I was visiting with a young man. He's in Jacksonville, still in school. And he began to tell me about his life story. Came from a broken home. Raised by a single mom. She worked two jobs, so he they'd have enough to get by. She did the very best she could do. But as he progressed through his years, and he came to high school, he had no father. He had no father. He had no one giving instruction to him. He was left to make his own decisions. He was given over to the gang mentality. Yes, in Jacksonville, there is a gang mentality at times. It's not just in West Anniston. It's not just in the ghetto. There's gang mentality in middle America today. It's just as dangerous as anything you will find in the inner city. 
Our society is a society that has forsaken the instruction of father and the catechism of a mother. Parents largely have signed over the education of their children to the education system, and if they're Christian, to the church. Our generation, my generation, was a generation raised by parents that worked hard and sent you to school and sent you to church. By implicitly doing this, they said, your teacher will teach you everything you need to know about the real world, and your pastor and youth pastor will teach you everything you need to know about the Christian world. My job is to work hard. The Proverbs knows nothing of this. Son, listen to your dad's instruction. And hear the questions and answers that your mother requires of you. Why, you say, why would I say a society loses itself when it loses the instruction of a home? Because the last part of this admonition sets us up for his argument as to why. But here's what he says in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The instructions of a mother and a father are seen in this passage to be a crown for a victor. Graceful garlands. Guidance and protection. Pendants around the neck. What are they protecting these young people from? Their peers. Don't consent to go along with those who entice you. And we're going to see that the transition happens in verse 11 so that they move from talking about the older generation passing down instruction to the younger generation to peer-to-peer interaction. What the parent is protecting the young man from is the gang mentality that exists not just in the inner city, but in the rural setting and in the middle-class section of town, just like it does down in the, in the slum. It's no different. Peer-to-peer interaction in the scriptures are always set apart as something to be watched after closely. These people don't have enough experience to make wise choices. And when you put a lot of ignorant or foolish people together, they get into foolishness. And the Bible says the protection against this is your father and your mother. Children, any of you still in your mother and father's home, all the way down to the very youngest, If you despise your father's instruction and you run from your mother's questioning and her guidance in your life, you will not be a victor and you will most likely not be protected. But you will fall into the prey of the world. My strongest encouragement to you would be to follow your father and mother. Listen to their instruction. That's the admonition of this proverb writer. Now notice he doesn't make this about one son and one father. Notice the generality that's given here. Father's, your son is a general term. Father's instruction, mother's in teaching. And then again in verse 10, sons don't fall in with those who entice you, sinners who come along to pull you away. This is a general proverb. It doesn't just fit one family or one socioeconomic class or one set of people. It fits all the people of Israel. This is really the the proverb writer Solomon is acting like a father to the entire nation. And, And in that, he's acting like a father to us. 
My point here, as I close out this first point, is to say this. God's ways are righteous. And he has set up a structure in the family to protect the coming generations. If you throw off the guidance of your father and mother, your life will suffer. In general, this is true. And fathers and mothers, if we do not instruct our children in the fear of the Lord, we will lose the coming generations. The downgrade in this country is not happening because of a political party. The downgrade in this culture is happening because we've lost our families. Period. We started thinking we'd change the world by changing government, changing education, changing tactics of protecting ourselves from internal and external enemies. The greatest way this country can protect itself is to return to the structure set up by God in the family. If we do that, in general, the principle is that the world around us will change. It's that simple. It, it, it is God's way. There is a structure, a hierarchy. We see it here. Fathers and mothers rule over, lead, direct, gives instruction, teaching, and training to a younger generation. This is the hierarchy of the home. That's the admonition. Secondly, his, what, why is he admonishing his son to follow the instruction of the father and not forsake his mother's teaching? He tells us what happens if you don't, if you keep the instructions, verse 9 answers what happens. You get the victor's wreath. You get guidance and protection. What happens if I throw off your instruction, Father? Might be the answer of the younger generation. 2, verses 11 through 18 say explicitly, Do not follow the crowd that is headed for the grave of sin. Do not follow the crowd. That is headed for the grave of sin. Verse 11. If they say. Now this is a hypothetical. But we can trust that this is being said. If they say. Who? These sinners. If they say to you. Who? These peers. Come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Now this is a conversation that a peer of sinners, a group of sinners are having with this son. A hypothetical conversation. But the conversation is laid out by the Father in the proverb for instruction very blatantly, very bluntly. Do you think anybody walks up and says, Hey, let's go attack some poor soul, slit their throat, and take their property? Most likely not. What's the proverbial leader doing here? He's laying out in bare bones what the enticement really is underneath. Oh, it may be covered with, you don't want to be cut off and ostracized from the cool crowd, do you? 
You, you, don't, you don't want to spend Fridays and Saturday nights all by yourself at your home with your parents, do you? You don't want to lose this business deal because of your ethics in an economy like this, right? I mean, times are hard. A man's family can't go hungry. That's typically how the enticement comes. But for the sake of instruction, he's boiled down what the meaning of it is. The meaning is, follow us and we will rob, steal, and kill. That's where sin takes us. It often doesn't come that bluntly, that blatantly, but the proverbial writer writes it this way. Solomon puts it this way so we can make no mistake. These are wicked, sinful people. And it's a gang of them. If they, you notice he went into the plural. They say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Now this, this speaks of a, one who, who is hunting. Sets a trap for his prey. Waits patiently. Ambushes is the word the ESV uses for the, for the Hebrew here. Ambushes them. Catches an unsuspecting, innocent person going along the way and takes advantage of them. That's what it's saying. Don't go. What happens if you throw off your mother's teaching and your father's instruction? You might find yourself following a gang of people taking advantage of innocent people. Poor, unsuspecting people. That might not have been what you intended, but that's what ended up happening. This ambush is after, notice, innocence. This ambush is after those who are unsuspecting, ignorant. They're just going about their daily business. And is there any pro provocation? No. Let us set an ambush for the innocent without reason. This isn't revenge. This isn't, this isn't getting the score even. This is just hateful, spiteful, selfish, stingy greed. These people haven't done anything to deserve the treatment they're receiving from the hands of this gang. If you throw off your father's instruction and you forsake the teaching of your mother, you might find yourself in this game. Verse 12 and 13 tell us the motivation. The gang is motivated by the precious goods that they can plunder and fill their house with. Now this word precious doesn't mean just gold and silver. It means not quantity, when it talks about all precious goods, it's not that they take everything, but rather they take the qualitative, the most, the most precious of things. They take those and they plunder them and they put them in their homes, they fill them. And notice the enticement. You say, this is all laid out so blatantly. Who could be enticed by this? Look at the last line of verse 14. We will all have one purse. You get an equal share with us. So we see that we don't need to follow this crowd. This crowd that's leading us into the grave of sin. The shield of sin. The intent here is to take healthy, young, whole individuals and swallow them up in death. This is bloody language. 
This is callous language. This is grotesque language. Notice he says, we're going to wait for their blood. We're going to ambush them. We're going to swallow them up like a grave. This is the characteristic of what this gang is all about. Why? So we can become rich. And we will all share these things together. Again, we receive after the layout of what is happening, we see in verses 15 through 18 a grouping that goes together. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths because their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. He again returns to the refrain of my son, connecting what he's teaching here with verses 8 through 10. My son, don't leave your father's instruction. Don't forsake your, your mother's teaching. Verse, then we come down to verse 15. My son, you see the connection? Don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. What will hold back your foot from their paths? Your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. There's nothing sadder than sitting in front of a mother shedding tears over a lost son who's committed a heinous crime. And then she begins to describe their home life. Dads who are never home. Mothers who never stop to care. Disconnected, unplugged parents. Little Johnny just was a latchkey kid. In and out like a shadow. Nobody knew where he was, who he was, or what he was doing. And now this mother sits and says, I don't know what went wrong. How did my son end up this way? Parents, it's easy to see the sin of our children. But what we typically are looking at is our sin. As much as the proverbial writer is saying to children, pay attention to your parents, they have to have something to pay attention to. Dads, if we vacate ourselves from the role of loving our children by instructing them and bringing them up in the fear of the Lord, we need not be surprised when they go their own way or the way of the gang. Mothers, if we're more engaged with the culture around us than we are with our teen daughters, we need not be surprised when they choose a boy we would have nothing to do with and live a lifestyle that we do not approve of. At some point, because we lose them, they don't care to hear what we say. Remember, as we talked about at the beginning of the intro here, these are general principles. Am I saying that if you do these things, your children will be perfect? No. No. You can get anecdotal evidence from anywhere and show me a child who had no home environment to grow up in and grew up great. And you can find me a hundred kids out there in the culture that were raised in good homes, loving Christian homes, parents that sacrificed everything for them and they still went their own way. But my question would be to you and the writer of the Proverbs would be to you, which do you want to take a chance with? Where do you want to put your livelihood at? In the bet, 
in the gamble that if I do nothing with my children, I don't show them any fear of the Lord, I don't exemplify a Christian life of repentance to them, that they will somehow learn to repent? Or by being broken and repentive and a good, solid influence in my children's lives, they will one day grow up to accept the teaching that I've laid out for them. I know where I'm placing my, my life. I know where I'm investing. Where are you investing, Dad? Children. You say, what about when my dad's wrong? What about when my mom is teaching me things contrary to the Word of God? Again, we can go about those examples all day long. But the truth is, most of the things you think are wrong are really just things you don't want to do. Or you're too young to understand why you should do them. I mean, my kids don't think they need to go to bed at different times. My, young, my, my youngest goes to bed about 7.30. Her sister goes to bed at 8. Her brother goes to bed at 8.30. And the oldest one goes to bed at 9. And it is a weekly routine at my house. By Wednesday, they're telling me why they should be able to stay up till 9 like their oldest sister. And yet, if I let them stay up till 9, I can't get them out of the bed the next morning, right? But they're too young to know on something simple like that. They need to have instruction. They need to be put in bed. This is a simple, practical thing. Now, if they don't know when they ought to go to bed, what's the likelihood they know how to respond in crucial decision time in life? See, we let, them, we let them make all the decisions as if they have all knowledge. And then we're mad at them because they make the wrong choice. Come on. Get real. Rather than point the finger at a 14-year-old, how about let's as parents point the finger at ourselves? That's what the Proverbs writers say. Instruct your children. Teach your children. And then that will guard their feet from going down the path with the sinner. Falling in, casting their lot with the game. Look at verse 17 and 18 as he closes this section. He says, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. In other words, if a bird is sitting on a power line and the captor is spreading this net out, the bird is smart enough to look and see the net and say, Hey, how about we don't fly over there? That's what the trap of the ungodly will be to a child who has been raised in the fear of the Lord. They will, like a wise bird, look at the net and say, Well, that's foolish. I'm going to fly the other way. Too many of our children are like the ignorant bird. They don't know the trap because no one's ever told them about it. And they fly unwittingly into the grave of sin because they lacked instruction they didn't have good teaching so he says in vain is a net spread in the sight of a bird but these men lie in wait for their own blood they're not they're not a danger to a wise son they're a danger to themselves they set an ambush for their own lives the judgment they're bringing about will be on their own head because they've gone their own way such are the ways of everyone who is greedy and unjust for unjust gain. 
It takes away the life of its possessors. The last thing we would say about this section is that the character developed. The character developed in the home through wise instruction produces godliness. Because what he's given us is the contrast. What he's given us is the contrast. These are not killers that he's describing. Now, you might have thought that because he's talking about traps and people dying and cold blood. But see, that's just the Bible's way of talking about greed. You didn't catch that in verse 19? We're not talking about a murderer or a rapist. What are we talking about? Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. The word here in the Hebrew for gain is not by itself a word for ungodly gain, immoral gain. But when it's used over, over the course of the scripture, we see that it typically signifies unjust, immoral gain. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What the Proverbs writer would say is he's more concerned with the life of his children being taken away by the greedy, by the get-rich-quick, than he ever is the murderer. Our society, our society as a church and as a nation is suffering because our homes have been devastated. Listen, what we all have felt from 2007 until today in a downturned economy happened largely because of greedy people. Thieves in suits. Swindlers with a smile. That's what's largely taken this economy to its knees. You're saying that's not fair. Certainly it is. Because anybody can pick up a reputable source of information and see that the reason our banks failed was because they gave loans to people who deserved no loan, had no ability to pay. Why would they do such a thing? Because they weren't going to keep that loan. They were going to short sell that loan. It was going to take somebody else's bank down, not theirs. So they lend the money and immediately turn around and sell the money. And it gets sold a hundred times. That house of cards came falling in 2007, crashing. Why? Because people in high places fell into the gang mentality. Let's get rich quick. Let's get rich without producing anything. Let's take our ease. Somebody should have had some home training. Somebody should have had the guts to say this is immoral and wrong. There were some who did and they lost their jobs, but they're better off today than any of their buddies that got rich off that kind of stuff. Our inner city collapses today because of a lack of home training. 
because of the absence of fathers, because of the encouragement of immoral practices by a local politician and national alike. Have more babies and we will give you more money. Yes, the baby business has become a greed business in our society. Our country is falling apart. Our churches are suffering because the wisdom given by a father is not there. But there is hope. There is hope. He's not running for election. And he's not, he is not ever interested in the majority's opinion. His name is Jesus. All the instruction of your home is built on one rock if it will in the end be successful. And that rock is Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is our key. What are we to instruct them on and what is a mother to teach? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord the respect and honor and admonition of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see the development here of two kinds of people. In the end, those who follow and love the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and they fear Him in reverence to Him they heed their father's instructions and they are not caught in the fowler's snare. They are not a part of these get-rich-quick schemes. They are not greedy for ill-gotten gain. And we see the fool who despises the wisdom and instruction that he's been given. And for the short run, they become possibly very wealthy, possibly loved and adored, but in the end will be judged. In the end, they will be judged. So, I'm sitting with one of our members two years ago in the living room of his house. He had taken in a young man who was troubled, had no home life, and he had lived there, this young man had, in his home for months. No rent, small responsibilities. They were trying to help this one. This one child, give him the opportunity. The member tells me he, he made a mistake. He, he had some spare money and he took it out in front of this kid, just not thinking. He trusted him. He was in his home. He loved him. And he put it in his drawer. He came back that night. Money was gone. Kid was gone. Stayed gone for a week. This man drove the streets of Aniston looking for this boy, asking everybody who might know him, have you seen him? Nobody's seen him. Nobody would talk. One afternoon, I sat in his living room, this kid across from us, this church member weeping, saying, just ask, just, just admit your failure. Make it right. You can stay. I'll take care of you. And this young man 
weeping said, I can't. You can't. I can't. I made my choice. I cast my lot, is what he was saying. I'm in with people now I can't get away from. I've done things in the last week I can't get away from. We all stood, hugged his neck, prayed for him, and watched him as he walked to the door, slowly, dreadingly, headed out into the world. We have not seen him to this day. The proverb writer says he needed a dad that loved him enough to give him instructions. He needed a mom to ask faithful questions and expect an answer. He's no worse in his heart than me. Than you. He's no more depraved than we are. So as application to this sermon, I would say two things. To us, rather than be prideful of our station in life, let us be thankful. As bad as things may have been for you in your home growing up, God has spared you. He has shed His grace on you. He has given you a, a highly exalted place in His family. Do not leave that place with pride. And secondly, let's make the commitment to where we can, where God gives opportunity as a church and as individuals, let us stand in the gap for these young, impressionable ones. Rather than saying they're a lost cause, how about we roll up our sleeves? How about we dig in? Will we get hurt? Absolutely. Hurt people hurt other people. It's the way it goes. But you will never, never regret being the gospel good news to someone else. You will never regret it. I think about that boy. I pray for him often. And still to this day, I hope one day he'll walk through those doors. I believe that's how powerful our God is, how big his gospel is, and how it can radically transform a life. Don't give up. Don't quit, parents. Even when they won't listen, keep teaching, keep praying, keep loving. Keep going. Because he never quits on us. He never quits on us.